So, um, renewing the mind. It is such an important topic. It covers every part of our Christian lives. If you're a born-again Christian, you either have been introduced to this topic of the importance of renewing your mind from Romans 12, uh, verse 2. Do not be shaped or, or molded into this world's vision and values, but be transformed. There's a transformation that takes place. Because when you were born again, your spirit came alive, seated with God in his eternal seat or throne over the the universe. But we are a whole person. And when God breathed into man a spirit, he breathed it into a body that's got senses of smell and sight and hearing, and all things that can navigate on this planet. But the spirit connection with us created a soul. So you're a living soul. You're capable of imagining. You're capable of memory, remembering. You're capable of making decisions and all these things that have their outworking in our physical body and our physical world around us. So, say off to me, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. That is a biblical picture. It's not perfect. Those portions are categorized, not because they are indistinguishable, but they're holistic, but they are separate. In our spirit, we are seated in heavenly places. We can choose either to live from the spirit and have the Spirit transform our mind so that the renewed mind lives out in our everyday behavior. Or we can choose to live from our fleshly desires, and that will then inform our soul and our mind according to our own selfish, lustful, ignorant ways, and our spirit will be inactive. So so that's why this understanding of of body, soul, and spirit has has, has dominated so much teaching over the years. It's because we we either get to to live out from the flesh. and, And by the way, let me put a little bracket in here, parenthesis, that God gave us a beautiful body. The body is not wicked. The flesh is not evil. We're not talking about a dualistic, you know, in heaven we're perfect, on earth we're wicked. No, God wants us to live a fruitful, loving, kind, joyful life in the flesh. But the flesh that's ruled by a transformed mind, a transformed emotions, and a transformed will. That's your soul. So the transformation affects the whole soul. So how we've framed this series is we step back and we look at Jesus. Colossians 1.15. Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, 
resurrected from the dead. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things eternally, and in him all things hold together. That is one of the most powerful scriptures that link the work of Jesus back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. God was outside of time and space as we know it. He lived in an eternal realm that hadn't been created because God always existed and will never end. And it's not seen by these physical eyes that we were created with. So Jesus creates from that place of the invisible unseen, he creates two realms where his creation are going to live. Even angels, they see, they're unseen, but they are created. The heaven the Bible talks about is a created place, but it's unseen. Your soul is a created thing, but it's unseen. And then, of course, there's the seen world. The beautiful ocean sunrises, the taste of sashimi with wasabi and and sushi and 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 steak lovers and food and and sounds and music and God put us in a beautiful world. This body was created to live and to extend His dominion over this planet. The flesh is not ugly. It's only ugly when it's ruled by a corrupt soul. When the spirit is cut off from God. And then even when the spirit is united to God through being born again by faith in Jesus Christ, the soul carries its baggage with it. It doesn't just wake up the next day perfect. So that is the reason for the importance and the necessity. So whether you are... Consider yourself quite a mature Christian. Your job in discipleship is to see that this process goes through. And then also, we've, none of us have arrived. So we see there's the unseen Jesus created. He created both unseen. He created seen. They were the created world. And in that... There's almost like a a parallel because our spirit, when it's born again, is seated in this eternal realm. But because of it being in a body, it's taken on the nature of God, which is an ability to think, imagine, a soul, in other words. And we live in a physical constrained body. If we disengaged our brain and our five senses, we'd be kept alive by machines. But we'd have no consciousness. So the body is just a vehicle, just a car, something I live in, but it's not the real me. But most people live and go through life thinking that this is the real me. But it is also, as an egg, without a shell, it's not an egg. (laughs) An egg without a yolk would not be an egg. So so they, they they have to complete each other. And they also aren't static. They don't just live in one realm. They live between the seen 
impacts on the unseen. Our position in heavenly places impacts on the unseen created. There's, there's, there's a harmony, a correspondence that's taking place between these elements. So this is a, the framework all to say that we need to see renewing of the mind, not as a static, let's talk about this subject. But let's talk about the subject as starting in the ideal, which is the perfect. Working back to where we really are, and then making the movements forward. Few subjects are as important in this discussion as the progressive revelation of who Jesus is. The progressive revelation of who Jesus is. The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They blind. You know, if you're blind, you don't see because you can't see. And it took Jesus to come along and put something on the eyes to open them up. When they were on that road to Emmaus, and they were talking to him about the events that had just happened after his resurrection, these few disciples who were discouraged, they'd lost their Jesus, and they didn't believe in the resurrected Jesus, they didn't recognize him. He takes the bread, he takes the cup, and while he's breaking it, they suddenly realize who he is. But it says that he opened their minds, he opened their eyes to the scripture. See, that's a work of the Spirit. Flesh and blood has not revealed us to you, but my Father who is in heaven. When you can say, I know that I know that I know, I believe that I believe that I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior, let me tell you, you can take no credit for that. All that happened was a supernatural encounter impacted your limited reason and the two together created a thing called faith and it was through that faith that you came into a revelation of Christ. I look at my own life through this picture of being at a stage once where I was Christless. He was... A cuss word. My parents didn't talk about him. We never were involved in a church that spoke about him. So you would say I was like completely pre-pre-saved. I had no Bible upbringing. had no consciousness of anything. And in a discussion with somebody, and in my old curious questioning way, he started talking about this Jesus, and I started fighting back and asking and trying to show him how ridiculous his assumptions were to believe in something he's never seen. He then retorted and surprised me at how logical and how commonsensical believing in someone you haven't seen is. Like I've never seen Adolf Hitler. I've never seen Julius Caesar, and Julius Caesar lived way before. But I see it in the encyclopedia, and I believe it. But Jesus, who's got more historical, archaeological, written uh, 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 data about him, I stubbornly refused, something wrong with the feedback here, stubbornly refused to believe in out of a sense of pride. You know you can refuse to believe because of pride? Because to admit it would be to admit defeat, and and boys don't get defeated. 
Or it could be a bad experience that you've had with church or church people. And then you, you write this Jesus off and you've got an excuse. But actually, deep down in the heart of everybody, there's something waiting to be called out. There's a necessary answer to the questions of life, of purpose, of death, of reason, of creation. And it took a very intellectual discussion that over a period of time, I eventually said, and also because I started to like this person, because he was, he was a really fun guy and he played great soccer. And he was part of our soccer club and I worked with him that I went on a camp with him and I got tricked into going up to the front where I had a supernatural experience of God that transcended my rational reasoning and my limited cerebral grasps of life and death. And, and, and yet Jesus was still a historical figure for me. You see, we can believe that Jesus existed. We can even believe that he died on a cross for us. We can believe that if we, that his death on the cross was to forgive us our sins. And we can believe that he rose from the dead. And in all of that, the Bible says if we confess him with our mouth and believe in our hearts, we are saved. Even if he stays a historical figure. Even if he's something out there, intangible. Sorry, I pushed the wrong button. And there we have that scripture I read, and I didn't read. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, was ma nothing was made that has been made. So our first place is when our eyes are opened on our own private road to Damascus, and we believe that Jesus died and He was buried and he was resurrected. That, you'd almost say, is in the scene created because there was a person who existed physically in time and space. You believe that he actually went to a physical cross. You believe at a historical level, and much of the church got trapped there. Many Christians got trapped there. That's all he is. And what they do, they go on Sunday to sing songs to Jesus. But it's a historical Jesus. It's a Jesus who once lived. And was the founder of their faith. And now the sacraments keep the knowledge of him alive. And, and we can go through life with this sense of him limited at, at that place as, as a man. A man who died for us. If he is present, it's usually at a distance. And in my early conversion years, I first attended a Baptist church that believed that God had chosen some to be saved and the rest can go to hell. And something about that didn't make sense to me. This God I encountered, I felt so much love. So it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And they, but they also taught that all the miracles were gone because they were for the apostles until the Bible came. And then, and then they taught me that um, you've got to have faith in Jesus. He is present, but he's at a distance. And your sins can separate your relationship with him. You won't lose your salvation because they were five-point Calvinists, 
but you could definitely get on the miff side of him. He could really get irritated. And, but something in me just didn't gel with this. So I, I'm hitchhiking home from work one day. I just started an apprenticeship in Northern Natal. And there's a guy with a cross on his dashboard. Picks me up. Hey, hi, how's it going? I look at the cross there. In the, I remember there's also a Bible in the middle of the seat. I said, hey, are you one of us? I'm like, hey, there's more than one of me, you know? Because, you know, church, he was young and I could relate to him. And, and he invites me to, he says, we're showing a movie tonight. It's called A Thief in the Night. So they scared me into, hell, into heaven again. Um, so I get involved in this Pentecostal church. And I just see they've got that same twinkle in their eyes that I feel. When I talk about Jesus. You know, some people who talk about Jesus, they go, yeah, 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 no, we believe, yeah, we believe. Yeah, anyway, so how was the rugby yesterday? You know, some people who talk about Jesus to him, they, they are sparkle. And uh, I had that feeling. And then they said, have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I said, I didn't even know there was such a thing as Holy Spirit. I think in some of the hymn books in the church I've been going to, they said, no, we're going to pray for you. This weekend, we're going to go away. We're gonna, you're going to pray. and we're gonna, In those days, it was tarry. You wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. Anyway, and you had to write out a list of all your sins. And, you know, there was a huge mixture of law and grace, and, but these, they did love Jesus, and I, I, I so, I'm so grateful to that. I get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, now, I wake up in the middle of the night speaking in tongues, and I'm thinking, am I going mad? I phone my home. My mother says, get out of that. There's a cult. I preferred you when you were clubbing and jawling and don't be part of this, this thing. I phoned my Baptist family. They told me the same thing, you know. But I knew something changed. My love for Jesus increased. My revelation in reading the Bible increased. But there was a cost. Here's a point I want to make. When you move from the historical seen-created Jesus to the unseen-created Jesus, the unseen world of the supernatural, the unseen world of angels and demons, the unseen world of spiritual gifts, it comes with a cost. And it's usually those who you have to leave behind. And it's sad. And they kept knocking on my door. And the more they told me that I'd been misled and I was joining the wacko, Wacko fruitcakes who let doves loose in the church and switch the lights off on Sunday and, you know, sing, sing the Lord's Prayer backwards. Uh, the more they told me that, the more I no, no, no. By then, it was too late. You, you could, by, I'd passed the point of no return. And in that environment, Jesus became tangible. He was still at a distance. Now, he was there, but he was there now, not just there 2,000 years ago. He was there now, and sometimes I'd have moments where, whew, I'm sure Jesus was in the room right now. You know, and you'd hear testimonies of, 
And I actually saw Jesus. And like he came into the room and I was so impressed with all this. But, but I kept living with the sense of I just was not good enough for him. A sense of failure. Sense of, man, not getting up early enough to pray. You know, standing on the bath in the morning trying to have a quiet time so you don't pass out and fall back into sleep. You know, to, just try... Man, we were so mixed up in legalism, but we were spirit-filled. We loved the Lord. And I found some confusion working with Jehovah Witnesses who try to use John 1 verse 1 uh, out of context. And I decided, you know what? I don't know enough about the Bible or anything else. I'm going to Bible college. I want to go and study. Now, I don't want to study at just one person's theology. I want to do a degree. I want to, I want to get the big picture of things. I want to make up my own mind, you know. Still got a bit of independence there. So off I go. And I, and I first year at Bible college, it gets portrayed very clearly that I do not understand that Jesus is actually God. How it's revealed is when we would sing songs and it would be, Jesus, my love, my love of my soul, Jesus, Jesus. I'd be like, when are we going to sing to God? But we're singing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What about God? Yeah, let's sing to Jesus, but what about God? And when I asked that question to my colleagues, they'd look at me like a cow staring at a closed gate in a hailstorm. They just grew up knowing that or believing that stuff. It's like, who even questions that? No, Jesus spoke to, to God. You, you blaspheming. And anyway, these guys at work, they, some uh, watchtower people or something, they said, John 1 says, at the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. There's an article there in the original. Till I studied Greek and found out that it's not. It's a total, total lie. And there's some, so we're doing a course, by, I think this is my second year. I, I'm surprised they kept me in Bible school so long. I would have kicked me out. Now, I got to fourth year. I don't know how I'd ever got there. But in my second year, I remember I was we were having this communion or breaking bread. And, and one of the pastors was leading us and speaking through. And suddenly, it was like, the God who created me was the God saved me himself by becoming a man in the incarnation Emmanuel and I just broke me down it just you if understanding of the Trinity has been some of you've grown up for be thankful because that's a horrible struggle to go through as a Christian because you don't know which side you're on the one part of me said you're going to go to hell for believing this other part of me says maybe it's you know I don't know. But in, I remember that moment. It was like it was almost like the day I got saved. It was just like, wow. Jesus, Father, I'm speaking to the same God. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, I'm speaking to the same God. I've got God in my corner. And Jesus said, I come to show you what the Father's like. All the pictures you thought he was like by reading the old covenants, he's not like that. That was how they thought he was like. 
in their limited, warped, bent worldview of a distorted mind after the fall, the best God could do is give them covenants to slowly unpack the terminology and the language and the furniture that they could eventually, in the tabernacle, come to a small glimpse of who he really is, but only to be fulfilled at the cross. When Jesus comes and says, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I do nothing other than what the Father would do. I say nothing other than what the Father would say. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Read the Old Testament. Make sure you put Jesus' glasses on. Or else you'll end up schizophrenic. You'll end up confused. And that's another whole topic I'm going off on. But there's rejection when you move up into a different understanding of who Jesus is. Those who come into the baptism of the Spirit experience Jesus in a current, present way of intimacy. And I did. But I was still scared of the scriptures that said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have to pluck your eye out. I imagined, I heard a guy, I actually heard a guy uh, at a Bible, Baptist Bible College in America that physically gorged one of his, gouged one of his eyes out. He said, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I can't live with this guilt anymore. And he did it. And I just thank God for a clearer understanding through the covenants of the finished work of Christ, of God's nature as seen in Christ as grace, love, kindness, mercy. (laughs) And here's the thing. Jesus says, my father's not going to judge anybody. He's left all the judgment to me. (laughs) <laughs> read John, chapter 3. Father's not going to judge anyone. I'm going to judge him. And how, what was his judgment on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There's some radical scripture Paul prays and says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm. Jesus, a revelation of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Jesus says, on that day, you're going to know that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, and you in me. Moving towards an alignment of my soul to where my spirit is increasing in experiencing Trinitarian relationship. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Wow. You're moving from a seen historical Jesus 
You're moving to an unseen world of the supernatural and the Holy Spirit and the gifts. You're moving into a realm where your spirit has been elevated, seated in heavenly in Christ. No, your spirit is not eternal. It had a starting point, but it's gone into a place of eternity. It's moved into a realm where it'll never end. We are created, but we have been elevated into an unseen, uncreated world where God is, where the Father is, and the Holy Spirit have been in loving communion for eternity. And it says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers, to the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, through me appointed heir of the world, through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. After he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. Ah, here my spirit begins to rule my body and my, my soul and my soul begins to rule my actions. Here I can start living from the spirit as I'm in him and he's in me. And that affects, what are we going on about? The way I think. The way I think about Jesus is the most important thing that I'll be responsible for in this life. If someone's stuck in a place of historical Jesus, but they've confessed with their mouth and believe, I, I believe they're going to heaven or have eternal life, whichever way. Just because they talk in tongues and they're in free worship and the move of the Spirit, but they're still in legalism, mixing law and grace, of course they've got eternal life. But there's a place to live in God in relationship with Christ where he becomes our lens of the scripture. Where I can close my eyes and say, the real me, me, I am a spirit. I am a spirit. The real I am a spirit is right now in a realm that is uncreated and unseen. And because of that, my heart is in a different place. That thing that rules my emotions. Jesus, you who lived the perfect life I could never live, died the, per the perfect death to pay for my sin like you did, and then gathered me up in your arms and took me into the presence of the Father and the Son and invited us, you and me, into a communion of relationship there. And the more our mind starts to catch up to what's happened in our spirit, the more our emotions catch up to what's happened in our spirit, the more, the closer they begin to, like those arrows, interact with each other. I start feeling the presence of God. I start thinking the presence of God. I make decisions in line with the presence of God. It starts to consume our lives, and it starts to be shown in the way I react, how I relate to people. It show, should show itself in my, in my marriage. It should show itself in my, my leaderships. And I look back, and I see all the mistakes I've made in all of those areas. I'm convinced it's because of stinking thinking. Not just because I woke up one day and thought, I'm going to shout at my wife today. 
which I never do, of course. I mean. When I know where he seated me, when I live from my spirit, from my soul, then I live a life in the natural that is good and beautiful. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Yeah, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith of or in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My friends, I want to ask that you don't stop stretching the way you think about Jesus. If you're still thinking of Jesus as being at a distance, that you begin to speak to your unrenewed mind. And you say, I'm never going to get closer to him than I am right now. Yes, in my recreated body, I'm going to see him. I'm not Jesus, you know. I might have taken the baton in this world where he said, as I am, so are you. And we can be Jesus on earth because we're his body. But I, I do believe in, 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 in seeing Jesus. But when I see him, I'm even going to see myself. Because I'm going to see the perfect work that was hidden from me in this world. I know, sometimes I think I'm, I'm going crazy. I'm just, the more I study these things, the more I read them, the more I deep dig into them, the more I realize we haven't scratched the surface of who Jesus really is. And as we move through those layers, and we've moved out of a mixture of law and grace by the grace of God, we're moving into a place of saying, Jesus, you and the Father, me and you, you and me, is good enough. Now, mind, catch up. Emotions, shut up. Body, line up. I'm moving forward. Amen. Amen.